0: 2nd Nephi chapter 11. And now Jacob spake many more things to my people at that time. Nevertheless, only these things have I caused to be written, for the things which I have written sufficeth me. And now I, Nephi, write more of the words of Isaiah. For my soul delighteth in his words, for I will liken his words unto my people, and I will send them forth unto all my children, for he verily saw my Redeemer, even as I have seen him. And my brother Jacob also has seen him, as I have seen him. Wherefore, I will send their words forth unto my children, to prove unto them that my words are true. Wherefore, by the words of three God hath said, I will establish my word. Nevertheless, God sendeth more witnesses,
1: and he proveth all his words. Nephi wants us to know that this record is filled with further treasures from the powerful preaching of his brother Jacob. And now he wants to turn again to the words of Isaiah. He says Isaiah saw Jesus Christ just as Nephi and Jacob had both seen him. This makes three witnesses in this one record, but later there are also many more.
0: Behold, my soul delighteth in proving unto my people the truth of the coming of Christ. For for this end hath the law of Moses been given. And all things which have been given of God from the beginning of the world unto man are the typifying of him. And also my soul delighteth in the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made to our fathers. Yea, my soul delighteth in his grace and in his justice and power, and mercy in the great and eternal plan
1: of deliverance from death. Nephi rejoices in the scripture which proves that Christ will come just as the law of Moses proclaimed he would. Nephi is radiantly happy with the covenants God has made with his people concerning the eventual deliverance from the grasp of death.
0: And my soul delighteth in proving unto my people that save Christ should come, all men must perish for if there be no christ there be no god and if there be no god we are not for there could have been no creation but there is a god and he is christ and he cometh in the fullness of his own time and now i write some of the words of isaiah that whoso of my people shall see these words may lift up their hearts and rejoice for all men now these are the words, and ye may liken them unto you and unto all
1: men. if there were no Christ and no God, there would be no earth, and mankind would not exist, but there is a God, and some day Christ will come upon the earth. Now, Nephi wants us to hear the testimony of the great prophet Isaiah, second Nephi chapter twelve. It is in this first chapter of Isaiah in the brass plates that we get Isaiah's long-range perspective extending over 2,700 years. Of course, the Bible version of Isaiah has an earlier chapter, or a chapter one that is a lamentation by Isaiah, and many authorities believe it should have appeared toward the end of the book rather than at the beginning. In any event, we can see that the first chapter of Isaiah in the plates of brass is chapter 2 of the King James Version. This chapter is about the history of Judah and Jerusalem. Nevertheless, Isaiah begins at the end of the story when Christ's millennial reign is just beginning, so here is what he says.
0: The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem And it shall come to pass in the last days when the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem.
1: Notice in verse 3 Isaiah is talking about a great future day, a future day when Christ has triumphed over the earth, a time when God's law will be going forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord shall be going forth from Jerusalem. Therefore he is talking about a future day when the Lord's house shall be established in the tops of the mountains, where the new Zion will be established in western America, and all nations shall send their people to the temple to be taught. Meanwhile the battle of Armageddon will be over, and the Jews will have joined with Christ in sending the word of the Lord from old Jerusalem. And he shall judge
0: among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more.
1: A great judgment of the people will have taken place, and the wicked will have been cleansed from off the face of the earth. This means that a new order of things will have been established. It will be a glorious day, and the righteous will reign with Christ over all the earth. It will be a time when there is no more war and their swords will be beaten into plowshares, and their spears into pruning-hooks. But having pointed the eyes of all the people toward the millennium, Isaiah stops and abruptly comes back to his own day, when terrible wickedness currently prevailed among the Lord's chosen people. He says,
0: O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Yea, come, for ye have all gone astray." every one to his wicked ways therefore o lord thou hast forsaken thy people the house of jacob because they be replenished from the east and hearken unto soothsayers like the philistines and they please themselves in the children of strangers their land also is full of silver and gold neither is there any end of their treasures their land is also full of horses neither is there any end of their chariots Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. And the mean man boweth not down, and the great man humbleth himself not. Therefore, forgive him not.
1: Everything that was happening in Jerusalem was just what Moses predicted. The Israelites had been given the divine formula that could have made them the richest and most powerful nation on earth. But Moses knew this is not what would happen. At the close of his ministry, the Lord told Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 27 to 29, that the Israelites would, quote, utterly corrupt themselves, unquote. Not only had Moses predicted it, but Isaiah had actually seen it in a series of visions, portraying the prophetic history of the Israelites for 2,700 years. He was allowed to see the long centuries of apostasy, wickedness, idolatry, and debauchery which would not only cause the Lord's chosen people to lose their promised blessings but would even result in their rejecting God's own Son when he came as the Messiah. So the task of Isaiah around 700 B.C. was to tell these people how wicked they really were and what the consequences would be. O ye wicked ones, enter into the rock, and hide thee in the
0: dust, for the fear of the Lord and the glory of his majesty shall smite thee. And it shall come to pass that the lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall
1: be exalted in that day. As Isaiah contemplates the wickedness of the people He cannot help but think about what he had seen toward the end of his vision. He had seen that almost before the people realized it, the overwhelming power of God would be manifest.
0: For the day of the Lord of hosts soon cometh upon all nations, yea, upon every one, yea, upon the proud and lofty, and upon every one who is lifted up, and he shall be brought low.
1: To Israel it would be a long trail of tears, but in Isaiah's vision it seemed as though the Lord would come amazingly soon, and demolish the pride and wickedness of all nations. So he said,
0: Yea, and the day of the Lord shall come upon all the
1: cedars of Lebanon,
0: for they are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, and upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills, and upon all the nations which are lifted up and upon every people, and upon every high tower, and upon every fenced wall, and upon all the ships of the sea, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all pleasant pictures, and the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day, and the idols he shall utterly abolish.
1: It seems impossible to imagine the Israelites abandoning the one true God and worshipping idols, but they did. They even sacrificed their children on occasion just as the tribes of Shem had done in the days of Abraham, which is described in Abraham chapter 1 verses 5 to 7.
0: And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth, or the fear of the Lord shall come upon them and the glory of his majesty shall smite them when he ariseth to shake terribly the
1: earth. Now Isaiah reflects on the day of God's judgment when he will shake terribly the earth. So what will the wicked do when they suddenly realize the wrath of God is about to be poured out upon them? Isaiah saw in his vision that they will go into a spasm of total terror. Second Nephi chapter 13. In this chapter, Isaiah seems to be consumed with anguish over the visions he has been receiving. He has been watching visions of his own people, the Jews, the children of Israel, trudging down their long trail of tears as he saw them grinding out their tragic history for a period extending over 27 centuries. Of course, the people of Jerusalem did not believe Isaiah's prophecies, but eventually they all came to pass. A student of Bible history cannot help but ask How did the people of Israel, and particularly the Jews, happen to become God's chosen people in the first place? Since the restoration of the gospel, we know it was because they were on God's side during the great war in heaven. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 7 to 9, Moses indicates that during the war in heaven, the royal guard that stood firmly with God were called Israel, which means, quote, soldiers of God, unquote. John says in Revelation chapter 12 verses 10 to 11 that they fought with their testimonies until two-thirds of the father's spirit children were won over. So this is how they became God's chosen people. But why would these chosen people do the things Isaiah saw them doing during their sojourn on earth? Of course, God knew all things from the beginning, so he was fully aware that this was the way they would use their free agency during earth life. However, when it's all over, the Lord knew it would work out for the best, even for the rebellious Israelites. Meanwhile, however, Isaiah saw that they would suffer severe afflictions for their apostasy. He begins by portraying the monumental crises that will occur during times of famine. For behold, the Lord, the
0: Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem, and from Judah
1: the stay and the staff, the whole staff of bread and the whole stay of water, Because of their wickedness, the Lord not only takes away the staff of life, but also the civic and military leaders. From time to time the prophet sees the collapse of their entire social and military structure, as their wickedness makes them susceptible to conquest from generation to generation. The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and
0: the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty, and the honorable man, and the counselor, and the cunning artificer,
1: and the eloquent orator. Isaiah saw the people conquered by despots and ruled by their children or the whims of their regents. In any event, Isaiah felt that the Jews of Jerusalem would be reduced to the deepest humiliation when they were ruled by infants. And I will give children unto
0: them to be their princes and babes shall rule over them. And the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly
1: against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. Isaiah saw the oppressions from without being matched by contentions from within.
0: When a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, and shall say, THOU HAST CLOTHING, BE THOU OUR RULER, AND LET NOT THIS RUIN COME UNDER THY HAND. IN THAT DAY SHALL HE SWEAR, SAYING, I WILL NOT BE A HEALER, FOR IN MY HOUSE THERE IS NEITHER BREAD NOR CLOTHING. MAKE ME NOT A RULER OF THE PEOPLE, FOR JERUSALEM IS RUINED, AND JUDAH IS FALLEN, BECAUSE THEIR TONGUES AND THEIR DOINGS HAVE BEEN AGAINST THE LORD to provoke the eyes of his glory. The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and doth declare their sin to be even as Sodom, and they cannot hide it. Woe
1: unto their souls, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Isaiah says the people will have become so degraded and degenerate that the pockmarks of immorality and disease will show in their faces like the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Nevertheless, the people will have to admit that the ruins all around them will be the sordid fruit of their own evil ways. By way of contrast, the righteous will receive many blessings, and people will know that this is the good fruit that comes from living a good life. Say unto the righteous that it is well with them
0: for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe unto the wicked, for they shall perish, for the reward of their hands shall be
1: upon them. The wicked, on the other hand, will produce the kind of fruit that grows on an evil tree, and Isaiah says they will get what they deserve. And my people, children are their oppressors,
0: and women rule over them. O my people! they
1: who lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths. Among the Israelites it was considered a disgrace to be defeated in battle and be put under oppression of a victor. But the only thing worse was when the victors would put the Israelites under the sovereign control or government of a woman. The Lord standeth up to plead
0: and standeth to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people and the princes thereof. For ye have eaten up the vineyard and the spoil of the poor in your houses. What mean ye? Ye beat my people to pieces, and
1: grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts. Isaiah warns the people that God's judgments are certain, and they're going to get what they deserve. The upper classes have beaten the poor and the lower classes to pieces. Isaiah says the proud women of Jerusalem have helped to bring about the disaster that they find themselves in. He says they have been haughty and arrogant, walking with stretched forth necks and flirtatious seductive eyes, making a tinkling with their feet as they strut down the street. Isaiah says they will be smitten with a scab on the crown of their heads, and their immorality will cause an affliction in their secret parts. Moreover the Lord saith, Because the daughters of
0: Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet, therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments and calls And round tires like the moon The chains and the bracelets and the mufflers The bonnets and the ornaments of the legs And the headbands and the tablets and the earrings The rings and nose jewels The changeable suits of apparel and the mantles and the wimples and the crisping pins the glasses,
1: and the fine linen, and hoods, and the veils. Isaiah has listed all of the trinkets and jewelry with which the women have adorned themselves. Their conquerors will strip them of all of these tinseled ornaments. There will be no more perfume, no more fancy hairdos. Instead there will be baldness, and instead of fancy clothes there will be rags. And it shall come to pass, instead of sweet
0: smell there shall be stink, and instead of a girdle a rent, and instead of well set hair baldness, and instead of a stomacher a girding of sackcloth, burning instead of beauty. Thy men shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty in the war, and her gates shall lament and mourn, and she shall be desolate
1: and shall sit upon the ground. Instead of the women having handsome uniformed escorts to parade them around the city, they will be in mourning because so many of the men will be dead. The women will be desolated, slumped down upon the ground, weeping and wailing in total despair. 2 Nephi chapter 14 And in that day... Seven women shall
0: take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by
1: thy name to take away our reproach. Now we assume that Isaiah is still talking about the great wars of the latter days. After the slaughter of their armies there will be few men left. Notice that the women in this verse consider it a reproach not to be married and have children. In periods of rebellion and unrighteousness, some women want to avoid the blessings of motherhood and the joys of raising a happy family. They say they want to be liberated from any such obligations. But Isaiah says that when the great wars of the latter days have destroyed millions of men, the surviving women will offer to support themselves and enter into a plurality of wives if they can just have a husband and a family. Of course, the Lord forbids plurality of wives unless it is under the patriarchal order of the priesthood. Jacob sets forth the Lord's discipline concerning the patriarchal order of marriage in a subsequent scripture. We come to it in Jacob chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. In that day shall the branch of
0: the Lord be beautiful and glorious, the fruit of the earth excellent and comely to them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass, They that are left in Zion and remain in Jerusalem shall be called holy, every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof, by the Spirit of judgment and by the Spirit of burning.
1: After the battle of Armageddon and the cleansing of America, the two great branches of the Lord will be beautiful. How fortunate will be for those who have survived in both Zion and Jerusalem. The daughters of Zion will have been cleansed, and the armies of Gog and Magog in Jerusalem will have been wiped out by the Lord's judgment and fire.
0: And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory of Zion shall be a defense, and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and a covert from storm and
1: from rain. The millennial rain will restore the blessings which Israel enjoyed in her flight from Egypt. There will be a cloud of smoke representing the presence of God by day and the brilliant radiance of flaming fire by night to serve as a godly defense of the Lord's people. There will even be a protection from the heat of the day and a mantle will protect the land from the storms in both summer and winter. Second Nephi chapter 15
0: And then will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill, and he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes.
1: This brings us to the Lord's song about his great vineyard in Jerusalem.
0: And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And I will break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain
1: upon it. The Lord has some challenging questions for the men of Judah and all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. What more could the Lord have done to cultivate and encourage this vineyard so it would bring forth sweet grapes, yet it produced nothing but bitter wild grapes? The Lord has decided to tear out the protective hedge and break down the protective wall. He will lay it waste and not make any effort to prune or cultivate it or dig out the briars. He will not even allow the rain to water it.
0: For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, and behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Woe unto them that join house to house, till there can be no place that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears, said the Lord of hosts, Of a truth many houses shall be desolate, and great and fair cities without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of a homer shall yield an ephah. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night and wine inflame them, and the harp and the vial, the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither
1: consider the operation of his hands. In terms of human qualities, the vineyard of the Lord has been a terrible disappointment. He looked for prudent judgment and found brutal oppression. The opulent and greedy tried to get a monopoly on the real estate market by joining houses to houses, but all these houses will be left desolate, and the cities of Judah will be desolate. Ten acres of grape vineyard will produce no more than a mere eight gallons of juice. A homer of seed planted in the ground will only return an eighth of a homer in the harvest. Instead of repenting, the people of Judah will become a nation of dissipated drunkards. Therefore
0: my people are gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore hell hath enlarged herself, and opened her mouth without measure. And their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth, shall descend into it. And the mean man shall be brought down, and the mighty man shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled.
1: The ignorance of the people will allow them to drift into captivity, because they have no knowledge about economics, politics, or common sense. What is worse, the gullet of hell will be gorged with these stupid people as they descend into the consuming fires of the damned. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment,
0: and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. Then shall the lambs feed after their manner, and the
1: waste places of the fat ones shall strangers eat. But God's judgment of the wicked will be recognized as a decree of righteousness. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity,
0: and sin as it were with a cart rope, that say, Let him make speed, hasten his work, that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto the wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto the mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, who justify the wicked for reward, and take away the righteousness of
1: the righteous from him. He will destroy those who rebel in their iniquity, and drag their sins behind them as though they were pulling a cartload of virtues. The Lord pronounces a scorching woe upon those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. They are wise in their own sight, and measure their strength by the amount of strong drink they can consume. They protect the wicked for a secret bribe, and rob the righteous of their just deserts. Therefore as the
0: fire devoureth the stubble, and the flame consumeth the chaff, their root shall be rottenness, and their blossom shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against his people. And he hath stretched forth his hand against them, and hath smitten them. And the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger is not turned away,
1: but his hand is stretched out still. But God will not be mocked. He will pronounce these people corrupt to the core and rotten to their roots. With the coming of God's vengeance, the whole land will rock and quake, and the carcasses of the dead will lie unburied in the streets and will be strewn out across the fields.
0: And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from far and will hiss unto them from the end of the earth. And behold, they shall come with speed swiftly, None shall be weary nor stumble among them. None shall slumber nor sleep. Neither shall the girdle of their loins be loosed, nor the latchet of their shoes be broken, whose arrows shall be sharp, and all their bows bent, and their horses' hoofs shall be counted like flint, and their wheels like a whirlwind, their roaring like a lion. They shall roar like young lions, yea, they shall roar and lay hold of the prey, and shall carry away safe, and none shall deliver. And in that day they shall roar against them like the roaring of the sea. And if they look unto the land, behold, darkness and sorrow, and the light
1: is darkened in
0: the heavens thereof.
1: But when the cleansing is over, Isaiah wants to tell us about the great gathering of the last days when the children of Israel are all brought together. It will be a day when God will raise up an ensign and gather all the tribes of Israel to their own original lands of inheritance. This raising up of an ensign is described in numerous scriptures. Isaiah himself says a little later, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign to the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. This has reference to the gathering in America where the Gentiles will congregate and raise up a land of liberty. But he goes on to say that the Lord, quote, shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four quarters of the earth, unquote. That's in Isaiah 11, verses 10 to 12. So this will be a great worldwide gathering with the Gentiles coming to America and the Jews to Judah. Notice that they will come with great speed, and almost sounds like jet travel without even removing their clothes en route. They will also have modern devices to defend them so they cannot be hindered while the gathering is taking place. 2 Nephi chapter 16. In this chapter, Isaiah tells how he received his calling as a prophet of God. He says, In the year that King
0: Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, High and lifted up, And his train filled the temple, Above it stood the seraphim, Each one had six wings, With twain he covered his face, And with twain he covered his feet, And with twain he did fly, And one cried unto another and said, "'Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. "'The whole earth is full of his glory.' "'And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, "'and the house was filled with smoke. "'Then said I, "'Woe is unto me, for I am undone, "'because I am a man of unclean lips.' and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the
1: King, the Lord of hosts. Here Isaiah, like Father Lehi, find himself in the divine mansions of heaven, in the very precincts of God. But it was a belief of the Jews that if a person came into the presence of God unworthily, he would die. Isaiah felt this applied to him. He considered himself a man of unclean lips, speaking from an unclean heart. But then here is what happened. Then flew
0: one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me.
1: Once Isaiah had been ceremonially cleansed by fire, he heard the Lord ask whom he could send to this people to carry God's great message. Isaiah spoke up excitedly, Here am I, send me.
0: And he said, Go and tell this people. Hear ye indeed, but they understood not, and see ye indeed, but they perceived not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted, and be healed.
1: But what a strange message he is commanded to deliver. This almost sounded as though the Lord did not want the people to be converted. However, Paul interprets this passage as he understood it and says, For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understanding with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. That's in Acts 28 and 27. In other words, these people are scared to death they might be converted if they opened their hearts or heard the truth. Apparently the Lord had indicated that the hard-heartedness and stiff-neckedness of these people would cause them to be sorely afflicted, and therefore he asks,
0: Then said I, Lord, how long? And he said, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away, for there shall be a great forsaking in the midst of the land.
1: The Lord also wanted Isaiah to know that this people were not going to remain in their holy land inheritance. They were going to be dragged far away, and the land would be forsaken without anyone to claim or own it.
0: But yet there shall be a tenth, and they shall return, and shall be eaten as a teal tree, and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance
1: thereof. Here again we have a better version of this verse in the Book of Mormon. Notice that it says, and there shall be a tenth, instead of in it there shall be a tenth. And they shall return instead of it shall return. This is referring to the Jews, only a tenth of which shall return and build up the land of Judah. The Lord compares the returning tenth to a certain kind of tree which was an evergreen that could be eaten back by the goat and still send up shoots from the old stump. He also compares this tenth to an oak which has a strength in it to survive. The returning Jews will survive, even in the utmost adversity. 2nd Nephi, Chapter 17 And it came to pass
0: in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezan, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went
1: up toward Jerusalem to war against it but could not prevail against it. In this verse, Isaiah is referring to the fact that the northern ten tribes and the king of Syria with headquarters in Damascus are planning to attack Judah. And it was told the house of David,
0: saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind.
1: It is apparent that all of the Jews were greatly frightened by the prospect of this mammoth attack. Now the Lord tells Isaiah to do an amazing thing. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz,
0: thou and she, are Jashub thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. And say unto him, Take heed, and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason with Syria and of the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, yea, the son of Tabeel. Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus reason. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If ye will not believe,
1: surely ye shall not be
0: established.
1: Imagine the indignation of King Ahaz of Judah when Isaiah tells him not to mobilize his troops and not to prepare to defend Jerusalem. In verse 7 the Lord is saying through Isaiah that if the Jews take the Lord's advice and remain quiet, there will be no attack. In verse 8, Isaiah prophesies that in sixty-five years both of these nations will cease to exist. But you can well imagine how the king of the Jews reacted to this prophecy. What does he care about something that will happen in the next sixty-five years? The threat was now. Two great armies would soon be at the gates of Jerusalem.
0: Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depths or in the heights above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also?' Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and to choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings.
1: Isaiah knew that the Lord's command to have King Ahaz stay quiet and not mobilize his armies may have seemed totally ludicrous to the king. But Isaiah told the king to ask for some monumental sign so that he may know that this command is really from the Lord and the king can depend upon it. But the king said he wouldn't ask for a sign because he says he didn't want to tempt the Lord. He preferred, in other words, to rely on his own judgment. Isaiah was so disgusted with the insulting arrogance of the king that he decided to reach down over 700 years and tell the king about a sign that God would give the world that would be miraculous indeed. And so he gave him the Christmas message. Quote, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Unquote. If the king had been imbued with the slightest curiosity, he would have wanted to know more about this virgin who could conceive and actually have a son. But King Ahaz was totally indifferent. When Mary was told by the angel Gabriel that she would have a child, she at least had the presence of mind to ask, "'How can this be, seeing I know not a man?' And the answer of the angel was illuminating. However, only Luke, among the gospel writers, recorded what really happened. According to Luke, Gabriel said to Mary, "'Behold, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called...' the Son of God, If King Ahaz had been sufficiently alert to ask Isaiah the slightest thing about this virgin who had miraculously conceived, he would have heard a story that would have amazed him. Isaiah had seen it all in vision, so he knew all the details, but the king was like a stick of wood. He was totally indifferent and asked nothing. Now, in the 16th verse, Isaiah says something which deserves a brief comment. He says that when this virgin conceived and brought forth a son, the two kings that Ahaz feared and abhorred would be gone before the child was even old enough to know right from wrong. If this verse is read merely as a measurement of time before the Assyrians came to conquer these kings, it would be an accurate calculation. But if it is read to mean that these kings will be destroyed before Jesus reaches the age of accountability, it would be misleading. That the first interpretation is the correct one is suggested by the fact that the maturation of a baby to measure time before the Assyrian attack is used in chapter 18, which we will study next. The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon
0: thy father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah the king of Assyria. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of Egypt, and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, and they shall come, and shall rest all of them in the desolate valleys, and in the holes of the rocks,
1: and upon all thorns, and upon all bushes." Now we can bring this story to a climax in a hurry. When the king of Jerusalem went right ahead mobilizing his troops, it brought down an avalanche of war just as Isaiah had predicted. Before it was through, over 200,000 Jews had been captured and many others killed. But this is not the end. Isaiah indicates that before the Jewish king is through, he will be confronted by the hosts or flies of Egypt, and the hosts or bees of Assyria. There will be war for a whole generation.
0: In the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head, and the hair of the feet. And it shall also consume the beard. And it shall come to pass in that day, a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep. And it shall come to pass, for the abundance of milk they shall give, he shall eat butter. For butter and honey shall everyone eat that is
1: left in the land. Isaiah says King Ahaz will barely be recovering from the devastating attack from the northern ten tribes and Syria when the predicted attack by the Assyrians will take place. Verse 20 identifies the source of the ravaging of the land. It will be by those who are across the Euphrates River, the Assyrians, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at that
0: time. And it shall come to pass in that day, every place shall be where there were a thousand vines at a thousand silverlings, which shall be for briars and thorns. With arrows and with bows shall men come thither because all the land shall become briars and thorns. And all hills that shall be digged with the mattock, there shall not come thither the fear of briars and thorns, but it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and the treading of lesser cattle.
1: After the land is ravaged, there will only be a few people left, but at least the survivors can live abundantly. Much of the land, however, will be covered with briars and thorns, but the hill country that was previously cultivated will be used to graze cattle and will not become infested by briars and thorns like the former fields and vineyards. 2 Nephi 18 Even Isaiah may have become a little impatient once he knew the Assyrians would pounce down on the northern ten tribes and their ally, the king of Assyria. In any event, it looks as though this chapter was to assure Isaiah that the promised attack by the Assyrians would eventually come to pass.
0: Moreover, the word of the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll, and write in it with a man's pen concerning Mehershal al-Hashbaz. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record, Uriah the priest, and Zechariah the son of Jeberakiah.
1: The Lord wanted Isaiah to write a prophecy on a great roll, not a slate, but in ink on a great roll, predicting the coming war, and there had to be two creditable witnesses to testify that the prophecy was recorded far in advance of the birth of Isaiah's son, whose prophetic name would mean, Speed to the Spoil, Hasten to the Prey. This is just another way of saying war is on the way.
0: And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, Call his name Mehershal al-Hashbaz. For behold, the child shall not have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, before the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away
1: before the king
0: of Assyria.
1: The Lord revealed to Isaiah that this little boy would not have learned to say father and mother, before Samaria, the capital of the ten tribes, and Damascus, the capital of Syria, would be completely despoiled. The Lord spake also unto me again,
0: saying, Forasmuch as this people refuseth the waters of Shiloh that go softly, and rejoice in reason and Remaliah's son, now therefore behold, The Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels, and go over all his banks. And he shall pass through Judah, he shall overflow, and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. The
1: Lord said that since this people, meaning the Jews, had refused to stay quiet, but had gone ahead and mobilized their forces and reaped a whirlwind, now they're going to be ravaged by Assyria at the same time Assyria attacked Samaria and Damascus.
0: "'Associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces.' And give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy to all to whom this people shall say a confederacy? Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your
1: fear, and let him be your dread. It is important to remember that the reason the northern ten tribes and Syria had felt compelled to attack Judah was because she refused to join them in an organized defense against Assyria. They therefore attacked Judah to force the Jews to join them. But the Lord says in verse 9 that no alliance or combinations will save the smaller countries from the Assyrians. The Lord says their only hope is to stay with the Lord and follow his instructions.
0: And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many among them shall stumble and fall, and be broken, and be snared, and be taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for
1: him. These verses simply declare that the only hope for the Jews and the house of Israel in general is to make the Lord their sanctuary, and his law their law. Behold,
0: I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Zion. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to hear from
1: the dead? Now Isaiah says a word on his own behalf. He says he and his children are given to the people as signs and prophetic utterances to guide them in the pathway of the Lord. But they keep wandering away seeking familiar spirits, wizards, and false prophets. Even among God's chosen people, those who embrace a spirit of apostasy will ignore the living prophets and seek revelations from the familiar spirits of the dead. To the law and to the testimony,
0: and if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no
1: light in them. This is a classical verse of Scripture. You can test those who come proclaiming their ideas to the people. Isaiah says if they speak not according to God's word, it means there is no light in them. The scriptures provide a reliable form of reference so the people will not be deceived. And they shall pass through it hardly bestead
0: and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. And they shall look unto the earth. And behold, trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and shall be driven to darkness.
1: Isaiah warns the people against the false teachers because they only pretend to have light and knowledge. They are fakers. In times of difficulty and trouble, they have no answers, and therefore fret themselves. They curse both the king and God. They have no hope, and see nothing in the future but dimness, anguish, and darkness. Second Nephi, chapter 19. About this time a new young king became ruler of Assyria. His name was Sennacherib. However, many of the tributaries of the new king thought he would be more lenient than his cruel predecessor, so they stopped paying their assessments. Sennacherib therefore resolved to teach them all a lesson. In the process he swept down upon Judah as well as the other small countries— Altogether he conquered forty-six cities in Judah, many of them located along the Jordan Valley and near the Sea of Galilee. These areas belong primarily to the tribe of Zebulon and Naphtali, and this brings us to the opening portion of this chapter.
0: Nevertheless the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict by the way of the Red Sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations.
1: Here Isaiah identifies the areas of Zebulun and Naphtali which would be grievously afflicted by the Assyrian armies. The people that
0: walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire.
1: Here we learn that in this very territory where the Jews would be conquered by the Assyrians, there would someday appear a brilliant new light. This would be the ministry of Jesus Christ, who would spend much of his ministry in this very region of Galilee and the River Jordan Valley, where so many fierce battles were fought by the Assyrians. But now Isaiah gazes down to the centuries to the vision of the birth of the Christ child. He says, For
0: unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of government and peace there is no end upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this.
1: Notice that Isaiah's proclamation of messianic praise extends from the birth of the Savior clear down to the magnificent moment of triumph at the beginning of the millennium when he becomes Lord of lords and King of kings. At that moment he will be called Wonderful, which means greatest of excellence. He will also be called Counselor, which is most appropriate since he served as a counselor at the right hand of the Eternal Father in the premortal estate. He will also be called the Mighty God, which is a status he achieved in the pre-earth life as a member of the First Presidency of Heaven. The word God means the ultimate in goodness, Beginning with verse 7, Isaiah contemplates the Savior's millennial reign. After the earth has been perfected and has been completely cleansed of all wickedness, Jesus will extend his government worldwide. It will be a government of peace that will extend from pole to pole and minister justice and fair judgment wherever problems arise. This will not come about by accident or by happenstance. But it will be by design, and the zeal of the Lord pressing forward until all things are accomplished.
0: The Lord sent his word unto Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, The bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of reason against him and join his enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth, for all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts.
1: In this verse, Isaiah is turning his attention to the proud and arrogant northern ten tribes and the people of Syria. They think they are going to rebuild Jerusalem and replace the bricks with stone, and where there have been sycamores, they intend to have stately cedars. But all of this ambitious reconstruction will never come to pass. Nevertheless, God will continue to have his arm stretched out still. To regain their blessings these people only need to return to the Lord and adopt his ways.
0: Therefore will the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. The ancient he is the head, and the prophet that teacheth lies he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for every one of them is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burneth as the fire, It shall devour the briars and thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forests, and they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke.
1: The Lord plans to humble or destroy the proud leaders and humble the rising generation. Isaiah calls the wicked gray-haired leaders the ones who have deliberately led the people into strange paths. The false prophets have taught the people to believe in lies. As a result of their influence, the younger generation is an abomination in the sight of God. Isaiah says every one of them is a hypocrite and an evildoer, but the Lord reminds them that his hand is stretched out still. All they need to do is repent.
0: Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother and he shall snatch on the right hand, and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm, Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh. They together shall be against Judah. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still.
1: As Isaiah contemplates the destruction that is about to descend on these wicked Israelites, he makes an ominous prophecy. Because of the siege that will be waged against them, they will be reduced to starvation. They will even eat the flesh of their own dead children. This is the meaning of the morbid prediction that each man will eat the flesh of his own arm. Then for the third time in this chapter, the Lord reminds the people— that his anger against them and their wickedness will continue, but his hand is stretched out still, and repentance can bring a restoration of their blessings. We will now cover the 20th chapter of 2 Nephi. In this chapter, Nephi wants to share with us the 10th chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah is still contemplating the devastating destruction which will come to the people of Jerusalem when the Assyrians come pouring down upon them.
0: Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that right, grievousness, which they have prescribed, to turn away the needy from judgment, and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. And what will ye do in the day of visitation? And in the desolation which shall come from far, to whom will ye flee for help, and where will ye leave your glory?
1: In these first three verses, Isaiah is pronouncing a woe upon the leaders who have been enforcing unrighteous decrees upon the people. They have turned away the needy who could not get their just rights enforced by their leaders. They have robbed the widows and orphans. But what will they do when they are trapped in the calamitous destruction the Assyrians will bring upon them? To whom will they flee for help? And to whom will they leave all their ill-gotten wealth before it is seized by the Assyrians?
0: Without me they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is their indignation. I will send him against a hypocritical nation, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets.
1: The people of Judah are warned that since they have forsaken God, they will find themselves pressed in among the many prisoners or smothered under the piles of the dead. Even then the Lord assures them that he will not be able to turn back his anger because they will still refuse to be humble or repentant. But that opportunity remains. Then the Lord salutes the king who is to inflict the punishment on Judah. He calls him an Assyrian. At last the nationality of the coming conqueror is clearly identified. The Lord calls him his rod of anger. Once the people have forsaken their God, he will allow the rod of God's anger to take spoil and trod the people down like mire in the street.
0: Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so. But in his heart it is to destroy and cut off nations not a few. For he saith, Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Calno as Carchemish? Is not Hamath as Arpad? Is not Samaria as Damascus? As my hand hath founded the kingdom of the idols, and whose graven images did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols,
1: so do to Jerusalem and to her idols?' Isaiah knows there is nothing humble about Sennacherib. The Lord has opened the way so that he might conquer the wicked and the proud, but the king of Assyria takes all the credit to himself, his princes, and the idols he worships.
0: Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and upon Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. For he saith, By the strength of my hand, and by my wisdom, I have done these things. For I am prudent, and I have moved the borders of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, And as one gathereth eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth? And there was none that moved the wing,
1: or opened the mouth, or peeped. Now Isaiah predicts that the arrogant and proud Sennacherib of Assyria will be punished by God after he has boasted that his conquests are by his own cleverness. He has shrewdly located the great treasures of his enemy, as one gathers the eggs from the nests of a hen. Shall the axe
0: boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? As if the rod should shake itself against them that lift it up, or as if the staff should lift up itself as if it were no wood. Therefore shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, SEND AMONG HIS FAT ONES LEANNESS, AND UNDER HIS GLORY HE SHALL KINDLE A BURNING LIKE THE BURNING OF A FIRE.
1: Isaiah asks, How dare the king of Assyria take glory unto himself? That is like the common saw, taking glory from the carpenter who controls it, or a shepherd's staff, taking honor to itself as though it had life independent of the shepherd
0: and the light of israel shall be for a fire and his holy one for a flame and shall burn and shall devour his thorns and his briars in one day and shall consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field both soul and body and they shall be as when a standard bearer fainteth and the rest of the trees of his forest shall be few that a child may write them. And it shall come to pass in that day, that the remnant of Israel, and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob, shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy
1: One of Israel, in truth. Isaiah says that after Israel has been purged of her wickedness, there will be a magnificent cleansing of her enemies. Those who survive the cleansing of Israel will cleave unto the Lord and have the power to destroy their former enemies. The remnant
0: shall return, yea, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. THE CONSUMPTION DECREED SHALL OVERFLOW WITH RIGHTEOUSNESS, FOR THE LORD GOD OF HOSTS SHALL MAKE A CONSUMPTION EVEN DETERMINED IN ALL THE LAND. THEREFORE, THUS SAITH THE LORD GOD OF HOSTS, O MY PEOPLE THAT DWELLEST IN ZION, BE NOT AFRAID OF THE ASSYRIAN, HE SHALL SMITE THEE WITH A ROD, AND SHALL LIFT UP HIS STAFF AGAINST THEE AFTER THE MANNER OF EGYPT.
1: Isaiah says there is going to be a great gathering of Israel, and the remnant of those who have survived the cleansing will become a great power that will overflow with righteousness and make a consumption of all the land.
0: For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian, At the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing.
1: Isaiah says it's just a little while, and the scourge will be taken off from the shoulders of Israel. Isaiah says their yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. This has reference to their anointing in the pre-existence, where their good works earned them the great blessing that came to them here on earth. We will find Alma referring to this anointing in Alma chapter 13, verse 3. Joseph Smith also refers to our patriarchal blessings before we ever came into this life. Which predetermined the things we were ordained to accomplish, and that set forth in the History of the Church, Volume 6, page 364. He is come to Aiath, he is passed to Migran.
0: At Michmash, he hath laid up his carriages. They are gone over the passage, they have taken up their lodging at Geba. Ramoth is afraid. Gibeah of Saul is fled. Lift up the voice, O daughter of Galim, cause it to be heard unto Laish, O poor Anathoth. Madmenah is removed, the inhabitants of Gibim gather themselves to flee. As yet shall he remain at Nob that day. He shall shake his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem.
1: In all of these verses Isaiah sees the great cities of ancient Israel occupied by the hosts of the Lord in the latter days.
0: Behold, the Lord, the Lord
1: of hosts,
0: shall lop the bough with terror, and the high ones of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled, and he shall cut down the thickets of the forests with iron and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one.
1: So those who have been anointed as Israelites in the pre-existence will finally come into their own and occupy those cities which were lost anciently to the Assyrians. Isaiah declared that in the day of the Lord's power he will lop off the boughs of those who stood tall in defiance against him. These high ones will be hewn down and the mighty will be humbled. As we review God's prophecies connected with the second coming, we find there will be a massive destruction as the wicked slay the wicked with their weapons of iron. The Lord will also use his mighty power to complete the cleansing of the earth preparatory to the ushering in of the millennium. 2 Nephi chapter 21 This chapter quotes Isaiah chapter 11 but it deals almost exclusively with events in our own day. You will note that this chapter begins by referring to four great leaders of the latter days, whose mighty labors will culminate in launching the age of the great millennium.
0: And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots.
1: We note that verse 1 deals primarily with the stem of Jesse. Then there is a rod growing out of this stem. There is also a great leader known as the branch, which develops out of the roots of the stem. And finally, there is the root of the stem, which we learn in verse 10, is the leader who initiates the setting up of God's mighty work in the latter days. Of course, we would like to know the identity of these four symbols, but that would be impossible unless the Lord gave us the key. And that key was given to us in a modern revelation found in the Doctrine and Covenants section 113. In that revelation, we learn that the stem of Jesse is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom
0: and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked." and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and
1: faithfulness the girdle of
0: his reins.
1: The second verse tells us that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon the Savior as he takes over the government of the entire earth to launch the glorified millennium. Isaiah says he will have a spirit of wisdom, an understanding, as well as a spirit of wise counsel, He will also have a spirit of omniscient knowledge and will perform his great work exactly as the Father intended him to do. In the third verse we learn that the Savior will be quick in understanding and will not judge merely from what he sees and hears, but will actually judge from his knowledge of the hearts of every man and woman. Therefore he will judge the poor that they might receive their just deserts and he will administer equity to the weak, that they will no longer be abused. The Savior's entire administration will be so completely efficient and just that men will think of him as wearing a mantle or a girdle of supreme righteousness and faithfulness. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb,
0: and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and fatling together. AND A LITTLE CHILD SHALL LEAD THEM. AND THE COW AND THE BEAR SHALL FEED, THEIR YOUNG ONES SHALL LIE DOWN TOGETHER, AND THE LION SHALL EAT STRAW LIKE THE OX, AND THE SUCKING CHILD SHALL PLAY ON THE HOLE OF THE ASP, AND THE WEANED CHILD SHALL PUT HIS HAND ON THE cockatrice's DEN. THEY SHALL NOT HURT, NOR DESTROY IN ALL MY HOLY MOUNTAIN, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover
1: the sea. In verse 6 we learn that henceforth the earth will be under the mantle of the new millennium. It will be an amazing epoch when the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid. One will see the young calf and the young lion feeding together. The same phenomenon will be characteristic of all life during this blessed age. The cow and the bear will feed alongside one another in perfect peace. Their young ones will lie down together. Even more fantastic will be the transition of all meat-eating carnivorous creatures into herbivorous or plant-eating creatures. Thus the lion will be seen eating grass or straw like an ox. Not only animal life will be secure in this millennial environment, but so will the people. The suckling infant will play around the hole of the poisonous asp or snake, and the weaned child shall without danger put his hand on the den of a poisonous insect or serpent. Nowhere in all the earth will there be animals or men who will try to hurt or destroy. It will be a day when there are neither agnostics nor atheists among men. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior.
0: And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious.
1: Now, beginning with verse 10, the Lord begins talking about how all of this will be achieved. The Lord begins by talking about the root growing out of the stem. In other words, a great leader will be raised up by the Savior to lay the foundation for God's latter-day kingdom. But we cannot help wondering who this leader will be that the Scripture calls the root. In the Doctrine and Covenant section 113, verse 6, it says, quote, Behold, thus saith the Lord, it, that is the root, is a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Joseph, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood, and the keys of the kingdom, for an ensign, and for the gathering of my people in the last days, unquote.
0: And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth.
1: To determine the identity of this latter-day leader, we only need to ask, quote, who was it in this dispensation who received the priesthood, the keys of the kingdom, and finally the keys of the gathering, We know precisely who it was. Joseph Smith received the Aaronic priesthood from the resurrected John the Baptist on May the 15th, 1829. Then he received the keys of the kingdom as well as the higher Melchizedek priesthood from the resurrected Peter, James, and John shortly afterwards. This is described in the Doctrine and Covenant section 13 and section 27, verses 12 to 13. Finally, the keys of the gathering were restored to Joseph Smith by the great prophet Moses on April the 3rd, 1836, in the Kirtland Temple. This is described in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 110, verse 11. The envy of Ephraim also shall depart, and the adversaries
0: of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah,
1: and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. Once we realize the true identity of the root, The comments of the Lord concerning him takes on special significance. The Lord says the root will be a descendant of Jesse as well as of Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. This tells us that Joseph Smith is a descendant of the same Jewish line of descent as King David and the Savior, while his other bloodline is that of the notable Joseph who was sold into Egypt. We notice in verse 10 that it would be the special assignment of the root of Jesse to raise up an ensign to all nations for the purpose of gathering Israel from every part of the world. The Lord also says the Gentiles would be attracted to the ensign and many would join the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However, it is interesting that practically all of the Gentiles who have joined the Church have turned out to have a strong strain of the blood of Israel in their ancestry, usually from the tribe of Joseph. But they
0: shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines towards the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them.
1: When God's law has been established, there will be a United States of the world and other nations will find that resistance to its government and the great peaceful efficiency of its administration will be counterproductive, and all other nations will find it to their advantage to come in under God's law. And the Lord shall
0: utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his mighty wind he shall shake his hand over the river, and shall smite it in the seven streams, and make men go over dry shod.
1: This verse has been widely interpreted in a variety of ways, but the real meaning is obscure. We need to have the Lord give us the key some day. And there shall be
0: a highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt.
1: This verse undoubtedly refers to the mighty highway that will be raised up to accommodate the ten tribes returning from the outermost regions of the heavens. These tribes originally fled from Assyria when their country was conquered by the Babylonians, and these ten tribes fled northward, and as we have just mentioned, they divided, and the more righteous appear to have been removed to another planet. But when they return, they will appear in the northlands from which they disappeared. All of this fits into a modern revelation which says, And they that are in the north country shall come in remembrance before the Lord, and their prophets shall hear his voice, and shall no longer stay themselves. And they shall smite the rocks, and the ice shall flow down at their presence, and an highway shall be cast up in the midst of the great deep. Their enemies shall become a prey unto them, and in the barren deserts there shall come forth pools of living water." They shall bring forth their rich treasures to the children of Ephraim, my servants. And the boundaries of the everlasting hill shall tremble at their presence. And there they shall fall down and be crowned with glory, even in Zion, by the hands of the servants of the Lord, even the children of Ephraim. And that's a direct quotation from the Doctrine and Covenants, section 133, verses 26 to 32. This will be such an amazing development that it will make past miracles look small by comparison. Jeremiah emphasized this when he said, Wherefore, behold, the day comes, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say the Lord liveth who brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth which brought up and led the people of the hosts of Israel out of the north country and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. And that's a quote from Jeremiah 23, verses 7 to 8. Now, before leaving this remarkable chapter, we have just two more brief comments to add. We have already discussed the stem of Jesse, who is Jesus Christ, and the root, which turns out to be Joseph Smith. Now we're compelled to ask... Who was the branch that grew out of the roots of the stem of Jesse? And secondly, who was the rod that came forth out of the stem? The branch is identified a number of times in the Old Testament as a great leader who would be raised up among the Jews. In fact, so much is told us about the branch that we will have no trouble to identify him when he finally appears. The branch is described by Jeremiah as a righteous king, who will rule over the Jews in the latter days, and that's in Jeremiah 23 and 5. Joseph Smith was aware that this branch would be called David, and that's found in the History of the Church, Volume 6, page 253. Concerning this branch named David, Ezekiel says, I will set up one shepherd over them, that is, over the Jews when they have gathered to Jerusalem in the latter days, and he will feed them. Even my servant David, he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. Now that is found in Ezekiel 34, verses 23 to 24. Zechariah says the branch, or David, of the latter days shall build the great temple in Jerusalem. And that's described in Zechariah 6, verses 12 and 13. He shall also have two prophets of God to call down fire from heaven to protect Jerusalem from Gog and Magog for three and a half years during the great siege of Jerusalem. This is described in Revelation chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. This branch, or David of the latter days, will apparently be in charge of the Jews when Jesus makes his triumphant appearance among them in Jerusalem and destroys the huge armies of Gog and Magog. So it is this branch, or David, who presides over Jerusalem during the great battle of Armageddon. He is referred to by Ezekiel in chapter 46 as the prince who ministers in the temple. But Jeremiah specifically identifies this prince who ministers in the temple as David. And that's Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. Now, last of all, we come to the rod, who is described in the modern revelation as, quote, a servant in the hands of Christ, who is partly a descendant of Jesse as well as of Ephraim, or of the house of Joseph, on whom there is laid much power, unquote. That's the Doctrine and Covenants, section 113, verse 4. It is noted that the lineal descent of the rod is identical with that of the root, or Joseph Smith. Both are partly of the house of Joseph and partly of the house of Jesse, the royal line of Judah. Since the rod is God's servant with great power, it suggests that he is given this great power to help the Savior set up the millennial kingdom. And since the rod and the root are of the same lineal descent, some have wondered if the rod might not be a post-mortal ministry of Joseph Smith. This possibility is suggested from the patriarchal blessing given to Joseph Smith by his father. That was on December ninth, 1834. In that blessing Joseph Smith had sealed upon his head all of the predictions described for him by Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. And his father said these would continue until enemies would mar his ministry. Now, even Jesus tells the Nephites that his servant of the latter days will be marred by his enemies. This is presumed to refer to Joseph Smith's assassination in 1844, when he was only 39 years of age. Now the father of Joseph Smith, who was pronouncing this blessing, suddenly changed his tone after mentioning the fact that the ministry of Joseph Smith would be marred at a certain point. He now starts talking about events very close to the second coming. And of course, that would turn out to be after Joseph Smith's death. The blessing said that Joseph Smith would stand on Mount Zion and not only see the second coming of the Lord, but he would witness the reeling of the earth to and fro prior to its flight back toward Kolob. And he was also told that he would be a witness to the return of the Ten Tribes for the land northward. This great blessing given to Joseph Smith by his father is recorded in the Church Historian's Patriarchal Blessing Book, Volume 1, pages 3 and 4. Someday we will know whether the role of Joseph Smith not only included— his mission, as described in the scriptures, as the root, but perhaps also the post-mortal mission as the rod. Only time will tell whether Joseph Smith would have both of these great missions. Second Nephi chapter 22 This brief chapter is the song of Israel following her redemption the miraculous manner in which God's chosen remnant will be converted, gathered, cleansed, and magnified in the latter days will be a marvelous thing to behold.
0: And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortedst me. Behold, God is my salvation i will trust and not be afraid for the lord jehovah is my strength and my song he also has become my salvation therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation and in that day shall ye say praise the lord call upon his name declare his doings among the people Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee.
1: The people of Israel be so moved by these great events that they will cry out and shout an exalted joy. No longer will the Savior be hidden in eternity, but he will minister directly among them. He will be in their midst and among the people. Second Nephi chapter 23 We should remind ourselves that Isaiah is famous for his predictions concerning the rise and fall of nations. What made him famous is the fact that every prediction came true without a single exception. We also need to keep in mind that his prophetic vision extended from the ancient nations right on down to our modern times. He saw the same thing happening to the wicked in our day that he had seen occurring to the wicked in ancient times. He therefore addresses himself to the wicked and the righteous right down through history. Great political leaders of all ages need to pay attention to Isaiah. Everything he predicts comes true.
0: THE BURDEN OF BABYLON, WHICH ISAIAH, THE SON OF AMOS, DID SEE. LIFT YE UP A BANNER UPON THE HIGH MOUNTAIN. EXALT THE VOICE UNTO THEM, SHAKE THE HAND, THAT THEY MAY GO INTO THE GATES OF THE NOBLES. I HAVE COMMANDED MY SANCTIFIED ONES. I HAVE ALSO CALLED MY MIGHTY ONES, FOR MINE ANGER IS NOT UPON THEM THAT REJOICE IN MY HIGHNESS.
1: The story of the Babylonian Empire and its collapse in a single night is rather fantastic. It was Babylon that conquered the Jews in 587 B.C., just 13 years after Lehi and his family left Jerusalem. It was Babylon that destroyed the Temple of Solomon, demolished Jerusalem's mighty walls, and devastated the whole city. It was the Babylonians who hauled off the survivors to the city of Babylon and might have kept them captive forever if Cyrus had not conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. Notice that the pending fall of Babylon was not whispered to Isaiah by the Spirit, but he was shown an open vision of what would happen nearly 200 years before it would occur. In verse 2, the Lord tells the leaders who will conquer Babylon to lift up their military banners. The Lord is addressing Cyrus and the hosts of the Medes and Persians whom Cyrus will assemble in the highlands east of the Tigris River. They are to lift up their banners and descend on the nobles of Babylon. It is interesting that in the brass plates, Joseph Smith was inspired to write, My Banner, suggesting that Cyrus is representing the rod of God's wrath as he goes forth to conquer Babylon. In verse 3, the Lord speaks of Cyrus and his hosts as the, quote, sanctified ones, unquote, who will be blessed with a great victory. Part of this verse has been mutilated. It says God's anger is upon those who rejoice in his highness. The brass plate said God's anger is not against those who rejoice in his highness. Joseph Smith, therefore, made the necessary correction.
0: THE NOISE OF THE MULTITUDE IN THE MOUNTAINS, LIKE AS OF A GREAT PEOPLE, A TUMULTUOUS NOISE OF THE KINGDOMS OF NATIONS GATHERED TOGETHER, THE LORD OF HOSTS mustereth THE HOSTS OF THE BATTLE, THEY COME FROM A FAR COUNTRY, FROM THE END OF HEAVEN, YEA, THE LORD, AND THE WEAPONS OF HIS INDIGNATION, TO DESTROY THE WHOLE LAND, HOWL YE, FOR THE DAY OF THE LORD IS AT HAND, It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint.
1: Every man's heart shall melt. In these four verses, you get an opportunity to see how the mind of Isaiah works. In verse 4 and 5, Isaiah is looking at the great city of Babylon. The whole city is surrounded by walls 336 feet high and 136 feet wide. On the top of the wall, houses were built on both sides, and a street ran between the houses, wide enough for three chariots to drive abreast. When Cyrus and his tens of thousands surrounded this wall, the Babylonians watched curiously as thousands of the soldiers under Cyrus dug a trench around the wall. But the king of Babylon named Belshazzar was not worried. He was having a great feast in his palace, when unexpectedly a hand came out and began writing on the wall. No one could translate the writing, so they sent for the aged Daniel, who was still alive, and after interpreting the writing he tells Belshazzar that the great city is about to be conquered. Then he went away. It was about this time that Cyrus and his soldiers diverted the river that ran through the city into the ditch they had dug, and Cyrus had his vast army march along the old riverbed that passed beneath the walls. Immediately the conquest of Babylon began. That night King Belshazzar was murdered, and by morning Cyrus was in charge of the whole city. As Isaiah watched and vision what would happen to ancient Babylon, His mind suddenly switched to his vision of the destruction of the wicked Gentile Babylon of the last days. This time it is not just the destruction of a city, but of a whole civilization. Suddenly and without telling us that his eyes are looking at the cataclysmic destruction of the wicked just before the second coming, he begins describing what he is seeing. This narrative about the latter days will last until verse 16. Then he will switch back to the destruction of ancient Babylon for the rest of the chapter. Isaiah must be read very carefully so that you know what he is seeing and describing. Notice that in verse six he says, quote, "The day of the Lord is at hand." Unquote. Here he has switched from his day to our day. He says the destruction of the wicked in the latter days will also be by the hand of the Almighty. In verse 7 he says the destruction will be so overwhelming that men's hearts will fail them for fear. And they
0: shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be amazed one at another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in her going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine.
1: To get a more vivid picture of what Isaiah is seeing, we refer to a modern revelation where the Lord described the terrifying calamity which so impressed Isaiah. It says the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall be turned into blood, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and there shall be a great hailstorm sent to destroy the crops of the earth. I, the Lord God, will send forth flies upon the face of the earth, the scripture says, which shall take hold of the inhabitants thereof, and shall eat their flesh, and shall cause maggots to come in upon them and the flesh shall fall from off their bones, and their eyes from their sockets. That's the way it speaks of the great destruction of the last days in the Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 29, verses 14 and 15. In this same section of Scripture, the Lord says that many will be destroyed by devouring fire, and says that the people will be amazed at one another, for their faces shall be as flames. In verse 9, Isaiah reminds the reader that he is now talking about the day of the Lord, quote, and unquote. In verse 10, he describes the sun, moon, and stars in chaotic confusion, just as the modern revelation describes them. At some point in this terrifying episode of horror, the scriptures indicate that the saints will be, quote, lifted up, unquote. That's in 1 Nephi 16 and 2 Doctrine and Covenants 88 and 96. And since these are the saints God will need to have restored to the earth for the millennium, we assume they are merely temporarily transfigured. And I will
0: punish the world for evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay down the haughtiness of the terrible, I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. And it shall be as the chaste roe, and as a sheep that no man taketh up, and they shall every man turn to his own people, and flee
1: every one into his own land. In verse 11, the Lord says he is not talking about some ancient city, but the punishment that will descend on the whole world. In verse 13, he describes the earth staggering in its orbit about the sun. And in verse 14, he says the earth leaves its orbit around the sun and takes off into the Milky Way like a chased roe. This animal was famous for its fleetness and tremendous speed. Of course, students of physics might think this might cause a catastrophe, but the universe is operated by the family of the gods where the billions of intelligences combined with matter and all created things obey their creator. As Brigham Young, who was tutored by Joseph Smith, has explained, quote, When the earth was framed and brought into existence and man was placed upon it, it was near the throne of our Father in heaven. And when man fell, the earth fell into space and took up its abode in the planetary system, and the sun became our light. That's in Journal of Discourses, Volume 17, page 143. And since the Earth came out from the Father's planetary residence near Kolob, we assume that's where it will return. Astronomers calculate that the Earth is about 30,000 light years away from the center of the galaxy to which our Earth will return at an extraordinarily rapid rate far faster than the speed of light. No wonder Isaiah compared it to a chaste row, the fastest thing he could think of.
0: Every one that is proud shall be thrust through, yea, and every one that is joined to the wicked shall fall by the sword. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. Behold, I will stir up the meads against them which shall not regard silver and gold, nor shall they delight in it. Their bows shall also dash the young men to pieces, and they shall have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes shall not spare children.
1: Beginning with verse 15, Isaiah is describing a scene of terrible, fratricidal war. Proud rulers or leaders are being summarily slaughtered. Verse 15 describes the merciless slaughter of children, and verse 16 describes one of the sheer horrors of the war, the ravishing of the women by the brutal conquerors. Now these scenes appear to remind Isaiah of what he was watching in ancient Babylon when his vision was interrupted and he was switched over to events just before the second coming. So without the slightest explanation or apology, Isaiah switches back to ancient Babylon where the same kind of pillaging, raping, and slaughter was taking place. In verse 17, Isaiah clearly states that he is now talking about Medes and Persians who did not come as mercenaries of Cyrus but to conquer a notoriously wicked people. Isaiah says that they destroyed the Babylonians, whether they were men, women, or children. They did not even spare expectant mothers. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms,
0: the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, Neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there; but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satyrs shall dance there; and the wild beasts of the islands shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant palaces. And her time is near to come, and her days shall not be prolonged. For I will destroy her speedily, yea, for I will be merciful unto my people, but the wicked
1: shall perish. In verse 19, Isaiah says that by the time the Babylonians were finished, the glorious city of Babylon was a scene of total desolation similar in many respects to Sodom and Gomorrah after God's consuming fire had wiped out the entire population. Verse 20 suggests that Babylon would never be rebuilt as it once was. The Persians built two new capitals, one at Susa and the other further south at Persepolis. As for the ruins of Babylon. Isaiah said wild beasts of the desert would roam through her ghostly ruins, and doleful creatures such as owls, lizards, and satyrs, or wild goats, would inhabit the ruined houses and the desolated palaces. At the end of this chapter, Isaiah added a sentence which is not in the Bible. According to the brass plates, Isaiah quoted the Lord as saying, I will destroy her speedily. Yea, for I will be merciful unto my people who are righteous, and the wicked shall perish. 2nd Nephi chapter 24 For the Lord
0: will have mercy on Jacob, and will yet choose Israel, and set them in their own land. And the strangers shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob, and the people shall take them and bring them to their place, yea, from far unto the ends of the earth, and they shall return to their lands of promise. And the house of Israel shall possess them, and the land of the Lord shall be for servants and handmaids. And they shall take them captives unto whom they were captives, and they shall rule over their oppressors.
1: It will be recalled that in the last chapter, the concluding sentence was missing from the Bible version, but in the brass plates it said, I will be merciful unto my people, that is, who are righteous, but the wicked shall perish. Now the Lord amplifies his assurance to those who are righteous. The Lord says he will be merciful to the tribes of Jacob in spite of their temporary captivity or persecution. This happened to the Jews in 538 BC when Cyrus felt inspired to send the Jews back to rebuild Jerusalem and raise up another temple. The Lord has also promised to be mindful of Israel in the latter days. They will be gathered to their original land of inheritance. It is interesting that each time the Lord has gathered his people there have been strangers or Gentiles who wanted to join with them. This has been true whenever Israel has been righteous and worthy of Gentile admiration. Some of these will be those who formerly held many of the Israelites in captivity. Now they will be willing to be governed by the Israelites.
0: And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall give thee rest from thy sorrow, and from thy fear, and from the hard bondage wherein thou wast made to serve, And it shall come to pass in that day that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon, and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked, the scepters of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted, and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet, They break forth into singing, Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and also the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller is come up against us.
1: When Israel is at rest, they will recall the proverb they used to recite after the fall of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased, unquote. Before Babylon actually fell, who would have believed it would be conquered in a single night? But in the latter days, when all of the enemies of Israel have been put aside, the people will finally be at rest and break out in singing.
0: Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations all they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, the noise of thy vials is not heard, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee.
1: Meanwhile in the kingdom of Satan, the spirits who occupy hell shall gather around the former ruler of Babylon. They will taunt him, All his pomp is gone. His body is lying in the grave, and nothing remains of his kingdom.
0: How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit.
1: Now Isaiah compares the fall of the king of Babylon with the fall of Satan when he was thrust out of heaven. Isaiah addresses him directly and says, "'How art thou fallen from heaven?' O Lucifer, son of the morning, unquote, Isaiah accuses Satan of his ambitions to seize the throne of Heavenly Father, and preside over the spirits of the children of the Father. But, says Isaiah, quote, thou shalt be brought down to hell, unquote. He is referring to the ultimate destiny of the devil after the final judgment.
0: They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and shall consider thee, and shall say, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, and made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, and opened not the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, yea, all of them, lie in glory, every one of them in his own house.
1: Now Isaiah goes back to the fallen king of Babylon, and describes how he is mocked by those he formerly conquered but at least they were buried with honor and acclamation in their own sacred houses.
0: But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, and the remnant of those that are slain thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit as a carcass trodden under feet. Thou shalt not be joined with them in burial, because thou hast destroyed thy land, and slain thy people, the seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. Prepare slaughter for his children for the iniquities of their fathers, that they do not rise, nor possess the land, nor fill the face of the world with cities.
1: The king of Babylon, however, died in disgrace, and his body was carelessly dumped in a pit along with others who were slain. For
0: I will rise up against them, saith the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name, and remnant, and son, and nephew, saith the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the bittern, and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the besom of
1: destruction, saith the Lord of hosts. Nothing great remains by which the royal family of Babylon can be remembered. All of the royal family have been scattered and dishonored. Their former inheritance has been totally decimated. Nothing but bittern, a heron-like wading-bird, will wander among the stagnant pools of water left over from the Euphrates River that once ran through the city.
0: The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely, as I have thought, so shall it come to pass. And as I have purposed so shall it stand, that I will bring the Assyrian in my land, and upon my mountains tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them, and his burden depart from off their shoulders. This is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth, and this is the hand that is stretched out upon all nations. For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul? and his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? In the year that King Ahaz died was this burden.
1: Of course, it was one thing to show Isaiah the destruction of Babylon, but for Isaiah that was a far future kingdom. The great threat to both Israel and Judah in Isaiah's day was Assyria, but the Lord assured Isaiah that this cruel and wicked nation of Assyria would fall. In fact, it would be Babylon that would conquer her. Nevertheless, all these visions concerning both Assyria and Babylon were given in the year that Ahaz, the wicked king of Judah, died of leprosy. That is believed to have been about 728 B.C.
0: Rejoice not thou, whole Palestina, because the rod of him that smote thee is broken. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, AND HIS FRUIT SHALL BE A FIERY FLYING SERPENT. AND THE FIRSTBORN OF THE POOR SHALL FEED, AND THE NEEDY SHALL LIE DOWN IN SAFETY, AND I WILL KILL THY ROOT WITH FAMINE, AND HE SHALL SLAY THY REMNANT. HOWL, O GATE, CRY, O CITY, THOU WHOLE PALESTINA, ART DISSOLVED, FOR THERE SHALL COME FROM THE NORTH A SMOKE, and none shall be alone in his appointed times. What shall then answer the messengers of the nations, that the Lord hath founded Zion, and the poor of his people
1: shall trust in it? Isaiah now addresses the pagan enemies of Israel, the Philistines. They had been conquered by the Jewish armies a few years before, but since the Assyrians were already marauding the Mediterranean coasts, as well as the mountains of Judah, the Philistines had asserted their independence. But Isaiah warns them not to rejoice just because they don't have to pay tribute to Jerusalem anymore, because the brutal Assyrians will come out of the north and raid the plains of the Philistines unmercifully. Isaiah says that the day will come when all of the traditional enemies of the Jews along the Philistine coast will be obliterated. And the Lord will eventually make it a place of peace and prosperity when he sets up Zion. Second Nephi chapter 25 Nephi now commences his commentary on all of the things we have just read. In view of the fact that he has seen everything Isaiah saw, it is particularly interesting to watch Nephi fill in some of the details left out by Isaiah.
0: Now I, Nephi, do speak somewhat concerning the words which I have written, which have been spoken by the mouth of Isaiah. For behold, Isaiah spake many things which were hard for many of my people to understand, for they know not concerning the manner of prophesying among the Jews. For I, Nephi, have not taught them many things concerning the manner of the Jews, for their works were works of darkness, and their doings were doings of abominations. Wherefore I write unto my people, unto all those that shall receive hereafter these things which I write, that they may know the judgments of God, that they come upon all nations according to the word which he hath spoken.
1: Nephi knows Isaiah is difficult for many people to understand, especially his own people who knew nothing about the culture and traditions of the Jews. Nephi says his commentary will help his people understand God's future judgments and prophecies.
0: Wherefore, hearken, O my people, which are of the house of Israel, and give ear unto my words. For because the words of Isaiah are not plain unto you, nevertheless they are plain unto all those that are filled with the spirit of prophecy. But I give unto you a prophecy, according to the spirit which is in me, Wherefore I shall prophesy according to the plainness which hath been with me from the time that I came out from Jerusalem with my father. For behold, my soul delighteth in
1: plainness unto my people, that they may learn. Nephi says only those people who have the spirit of prophecy can understand Isaiah. Nephi says he has been blessed with the spirit of prophecy, and therefore he will speak with clarity because of his own vision.
0: Yea, and my soul delighteth in the words of Isaiah, for I came out from Jerusalem, and mine eyes hath beheld the things of the Jews, and I know that the Jews do understand the things of the prophets, and there is none other people that understand the things which were spoken unto the Jews like unto them, save it be that they are taught after the manner of the things of the Jews.' But behold, I, Nephi, have not taught my children after the manner of the Jews. But behold, I of myself have dwelt at Jerusalem, wherefore I know concerning the regions round about. And I have made mention unto my children concerning the judgments of God, which hath come to pass among the Jews, unto my children according to all that which Isaiah hath spoken, and I do not write them."
1: One of the reasons the Nephites do not understand Isaiah is because Nephi has not taught them concerning the traditions and culture of the Jews. But behold, I proceed with mine own prophecy, according
0: to my plainness, in the which I know that no man can err. Nevertheless, in the days that the prophecies of Isaiah shall be fulfilled, men shall know of a surety at the times when they shall come to pass, Wherefore, they are of worth unto the children of men. And he that supposeth that they are not, unto them will I speak particularly, and confine the words unto mine own people. For I know that they shall be of great worth unto them in the last days. For in that day shall they understand them.
1: Wherefore, for their good have I written them. Nephi proposes to describe his own prophecies with such plainness that no man can err.
0: And as one generation hath been destroyed among the Jews because of iniquity, even so have they been destroyed from generation to generation according to their iniquities. And never hath any of them been destroyed, save it were foretold them by the prophets of the Lord." Wherefore, it hath been told them concerning the destruction which should come upon them immediately after my father left Jerusalem. Nevertheless, they hardened their hearts, and according to my prophecy, they have been destroyed, save it be those which are carried away captive into Babylon.
1: The Jews have always been warned before a wave of destruction swept down upon them. This was true of the destruction that hit Jerusalem a few short years after Lehi and his family left Jerusalem. And
0: now this I speak because of the Spirit which is in me. And notwithstanding they have been carried away, they shall return again and possess the land of Jerusalem. Wherefore they shall be restored
1: again to the land of their inheritance." Nephi saw something in his vision which came as a surprise to the Nephites. He saw that the remnant of the Jews who were hauled off to Babylon will be allowed to return to Jerusalem in due time and once more take over their inheritance. But behold, they shall have wars and rumors of wars. And when
0: the day cometh that the only begotten of the Father... Yea, even the Father of heaven and of earth shall manifest Himself unto them in the flesh. Behold, they will reject Him, because of their iniquities, and the hardness of their hearts, and the stiffness of their necks. Behold, they will crucify Him. And after He is laid in a sepulcher for the space of three days, He shall rise from the dead with healing in His wings. And all those who shall believe on His name shall be saved in the kingdom of God. Wherefore my soul delighteth to prophesy concerning him, for I have seen his day, and my heart doth magnify his holy name.
1: Nephi now fills in additional details concerning the history of the Jews. He says they will have numerous wars, and they will become so wicked and hard-hearted that they will crucify their Messiah in spite of all of his miracles. Nephi also verified the words of earlier prophets that Jesus will remain in the sepulchre for three days and then rise and triumph with healing in his wings. Nephi is filled with rapture as he contemplates the triumphant resurrection of Jesus. And behold, it
0: shall come to pass that after the Messiah hath risen from the dead, and hath manifested himself unto his people, unto as many as will believe on his name, Behold, Jerusalem shall be destroyed again. For woe unto them that fight against God and the people of his church. Wherefore the Jews shall be scattered among all nations. Yea, and also Babylon shall be destroyed. Wherefore the Jews shall be scattered by other nations.
1: Then Nephi contemplates the catastrophic destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., when the people be slaughtered and scattered in all directions.
0: And after they have been scattered, and the Lord God hath scourged them by other nations for the space of many generations, yea, even down from generation to generation, until they shall be persuaded to believe in Christ, the Son of God, and the atonement, which is infinite for all mankind. And when that day shall come that they shall believe in Christ, and worship the Father in his name, with pure hearts and clean hands, and look not forward any more for another Messiah, then at that time the day will come that it must needs be expedient that they should believe these things.
1: Nephi then describes something which is still in the future. He said the Jews would pass through many generations of persecution and genocidal holocausts until finally they realize that Jesus is their Messiah and they will stop looking for another. And the Lord will set his hand again
0: the second time
1: to restore
0: his people from their lost and fallen state. Wherefore he will proceed to do a marvelous work and a wonder among the children of men, Wherefore he shall bring forth his words unto them, which words shall judge them at the last day. For they shall be given them for the purpose of convincing them of the true Messiah, who was rejected by them, and unto the convincing of them that they need not look forward any more for a Messiah to come. For there should not any come, save it should be a false Messiah which should deceive the people." For there is save one Messiah spoken of by the prophets, and that Messiah is he who should be rejected of the Jews.
1: The 17th verse is referring to the restoration of the gospel and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, as well as other scriptures, and it will finally convince the Jews that Jesus has come already, and they need not look any longer for another Messiah. For according to the words of the prophets... The Messiah cometh
0: in six hundred years from the time that my father left Jerusalem. And according to the words of the prophets, and also the word of the angel of God, his name shall be Jesus Christ, the Son
1: of God. God could not have been more exact than when he told Father Lehi that exactly six hundred years from the time they left Jerusalem the Messiah would be born.
0: And now, my brethren,
1: I have spoken
0: plainly that ye cannot err. And as the Lord God liveth that brought Israel up out of the land of Egypt, and gave unto Moses power that he should heal the nations after they had been bitten by the poisonous serpents, if they would cast their eyes unto the serpent, which he did raise up before them, and also gave him power that he should smite the rock and the water should come forth, Yea, behold, I say unto you, that as these things are true, and as the Lord God liveth, there is none other name given under heaven, save it be this Jesus Christ, of which I have spoken, whereby man can be saved.
1: Nephi certifies that he has given the people sufficient proof of the Lord's intention that he cannot err. He refers to the miracles of the Old Testament and states that just as they actually occurred and were true, so also Jesus will literally come among the Jews, and his name is the only name whereby mankind can be saved.
0: Wherefore, for this cause hath the Lord God promised unto me that these things which I write shall be kept and preserved, and handed down unto my seed from generation to generation, that the promise may be fulfilled unto Joseph, that his seed should never perish as long as the earth should stand. Wherefore these things shall go from generation to generation as long as the earth shall stand, and they shall go according to the will and pleasure of God. And the nations who shall possess them shall be judged
1: of them according to the words which are written." Nephi has been promised by the Lord that the things he is writing will be preserved and will be a witness against the people who reject them.
0: For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. And notwithstanding we believe in Christ, We keep the law of Moses, and look forward with steadfastness unto Christ, until the law shall be fulfilled. For for this end was the law given, wherefore the law hath become dead unto us, and we are made alive in Christ because of our faith, yet we keep the law because of the commandments.
1: The early nephites were taught diligently to believe in christ and they explicitly and carefully practiced the law of moses which was given to the jews to prepare them for the coming of christ
0: and we talk of christ we rejoice in christ we preach of christ we prophesy of christ and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins Wherefore we speak concerning the law, that our children may know the deadness of the law, and they by knowing the deadness of the law may look forward unto that life which is in Christ, and know for what end the law was given, and after the law is fulfilled in Christ, that they need not harden their hearts against him when the law ought to be done away.
1: The early Nephites even had their own church of Jesus Christ. Nephi says they talk of Christ, they rejoice in Christ, they preach Christ and prophesy of Christ. Nephi knew that few people like themselves realized that the law of Moses was already dead, but they continued to practice it just for their children's sake. And now,
0: behold, my people, ye are a stiff-necked people. Wherefore I have spoken plainly unto you, that ye cannot misunderstand and the words which I have spoken, shall stand as a testimony against you. For they are sufficient to teach any man the right way. For the right way is to believe in Christ, and deny Him not. For by denying Him, ye also deny the prophets and the law. And now behold, I say unto you, that the right way is to believe in Christ, and deny Him not. And Christ is the Holy One of Israel. Wherefore ye must bow down before Him, and worship Him with all your might, mind, and strength, and your whole soul. And if ye do this, ye shall in no wise be cast out. And inasmuch as it shall be expedient, ye must keep the performances and ordinances of God until the law shall be fulfilled which was given unto Moses.
1: Now Nephi confesses that the Nephites are a hard-headed and stiff-necked people, but to fulfill the law of Moses they must be obedient to each of the ordinances which were given as a schoolmaster to prepare the people for the coming of Christ. If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen,
0: you might enjoy his lecture recordings while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.